<laughs> so here we are in the season of Advent when we talk about this great gift right, that we've been given. On the first Christmas, the angels announced the birth of a new child. The heavenly host comes out singing, singing that shouts of praise. And, and the shepherds go racing to Bethlehem to see what it's all about. And for 2,000 years, we've been going, man, thank you, Lord, for giving us this gift. It's awesome. What is it? What does it mean? What does it mean that God's Son became flesh? Sometimes we're puzzled by what the meaning of God's gift is. This morning, we're going to look at that a little bit, and we're going to, this is Advent week four, and, and we lit the candle of love, so we're going to be focusing today on, on love. So our passage is out of John chapter three, and I'm going to paraphrase the beginning of it. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, and he came to see Jesus, and of course, being a Pharisee, he came to see Jesus at night because to see him during the day would have legitimized Jesus, but he wanted to know more about who this Jesus was. And, and he told them, he said, Rabbi, I know that you couldn't do the things that you do unless you were sent from God, so I know that you've been sent from God. Um, and Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And of course, Nicodemus starts scratching his head. I can imagine... You know, if he had that, the, the Pharisee hat on, that he probably took it off and went, <laughs> well, I don't get it. How, how, do you, how are you born again? You can't go back into your mother's womb. And that brings us to this point, verse 5. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sounds of it, but can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus, you know, probably scratching his head a little bit, he, he said, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know, testify what we have seen, and you don't receive our witness. In other words, we've been showing you what we're about. I've been been spending time healing people and doing all of these things, and, and you deny what's going on with that. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then there's a very familiar verse. I believe, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I wish that we would have tagged 17 with it, you know. That would have been really a, a, a cool thing instead of the just 60 because 17 is really important for us as Christians. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. 
might be saved. We've talked about God's love a lot since I've been here in June. Um, we know of God's unconditional love for us. We've talked some about agape, how it's genuine, how, how it's authentic, um, forgiving, and ever-present with us. I love that the creator of all that is, the, the ever just in awe go, the creator of everything loves me. And just get overwhelmed by that. Just kind of crazy, really, you know. You think God was too busy with all, all the other stuff, all these galaxies and universes that have been created. And yet he loves me and he loves you. And he sent his son. He loves us so much he sent his son to redeem us and reconcile us to God, to give us another chance. This started out with, when I first started this part, I said to give us a second chance. But I got to tell you, if it were just a second chance, <laughs> I'd be in deep trouble. <laughs> you know, I'm just grateful that God gives us another chance, you know, and that's, that's been really powerful in my life. Despite, regardless of the number of previous chances, he gives us another chance. Um, Billy Graham tells this story, and, and uh, I didn't know this, Derek, George, you're a Georgia Tech guy. No? So you're not a Georgia Tech. You're a Georgia, so he got a Georgia Tech Christmas card from Mike Roberts. I saw that this morning <laughs> when I was signing. So, so I thought maybe he was a Georgia, I know Mike's a Georgia Tech, so you weren't commiserating, he was jabbing. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, <laughs> Well, this is, you'll like the, this part of this story because this is about a Georgia Tech uh, game. They played in the University of California in 1929. This is Billy Graham tells this story. And in the, in the game, a player picked up a fumble and, and got confused and ran the wrong way. And, 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 and he was about to score, and his own teammate tackled him to keep him from scoring. And, and, and so, so he, they go into at halftime, and, and, and they're, you know, they're in the dressing room, and, and that, that guy goes over and sits in the corner and puts a towel over his head and actually starts to cry. And when the team was ready to go back on the field, the coach stood up, and he said, okay, everybody who started the game is going to start the second half. And the team was a little incredulous about that. But, the, but that young man over in the corner, just, he, he was just still in that same position crying. He wouldn't budge. The coach looked back at him, saw that his cheeks were wet with tears, and young man looked up and said, Coach, I can't do it. I can't do it. I've ruined you. I've disgraced the university. And I can't go out and face that crowd. just can't do it. And the coach walked over, put his hand on the player's shoulder, and said, get up and go back in, son. The game is only half over. The game is only half over. So for some of us in here this morning, let me say to you, game is only half over. Get up and go back in. That story also reminds me of scripture. Some guys that were, some of us would be very familiar with. A gentleman named Jonah ran from God. Got swallowed up by some big fish. Spent three days in the belly of a fish and got another chance. David sees Bathsheba from up on the roof, calls her over, and then tries to get Bathsheba's husband, gets her pregnant, and tries to get Bathsheba's husband to sleep with her, but he wouldn't, and ends up sending him back out to get killed. 
David, who is part of the lineage of Christ. David got another chance. Peter. Right? You will deny me three, three times before the rooster crows. And Peter became the rock that the church was built on. Peter got another chance. My favorite, not in scripture, my personal favorite, Mike Devine, recovering alcoholic and drug addict, made countless mistakes. You know what God did? He gave me another chance. Because God is the God of another chance, I get to be here. You get to be here. And his love never fails. He is with us. Always. The love of God in this season reminds us that we have another chance. We've all sinned this past year. We've all fallen short of that mark of perfection that is God's will for us. And we strive for that mark. We want to hit that mark. But we also understand that we're going to fall short sometimes because we're not perfect. We're not perfect. Adam and Eve, Adam really, it's, it's, you may call him Adam, but really Adam means, is just a, the Hebrew word for, for human. Um, but the first man and the first woman were in the garden and they messed up. They sinned and sin came into the world. And so every day we wake up in a fallen world. And we face and have to deal with the fallenness that came from then. That sin is still a part of our current world. It won't be forever. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But for now, that fallenness is something that we face every day. It's an inherited fallenness. And we face it every day all around us. And we were without the power or the ability to overcome that. You read the Old Testament, the Israelites time after time after time after time tried to do it right, do it right, do it right, mess up, do it right, mess up, do it right. It was constant. They couldn't do it right. And so, Jesus. Jesus, who is the bridge for us, the gap. Jesus was the one who could do it perfect. He was the one who could, who could build that place of reconciliation between us and God. His ability to reach the mark of, salva- uh, of perfection is why we are able to be saved. It's not through our own ability, but through Christ. Paul understood this. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Yet indeed I also counted all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, from the rules, from getting it right. That's the Old Testament stuff where the Israelites kept trying to to have their own righteousness. Paul, at this point, understood that he couldn't do that. There was one point when he was trying to do that. He was not capable of it. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And and this is is Paul. Not that I have already attained it. In other words, I haven't been able to be perfect in this place. But he was able to become closer and closer 
Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Guys, if you're hung up on stuff from your past, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are in front of you. Don't get lost in them. Yes, they're, they, they're formative for us, but they ought not to direct us today. The things in our past should not be the primary thing. We've got a future and a place to go. Straining, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. The word perfection in the Bible is an interesting word. It's the, the Hebrew is, or the Greek is teleos. And what it really means is maturing. That I become mature. It doesn't mean that I don't make mistakes. That's anamartetos. It's a different word. Teleos is used often. Anamartetos is used, I think, once, maybe twice. We're not always going to get it right. But we don't stop striving forward for that another chance. Another chance. Because God's wanting to give us another chance. We make choices to help others because of God's love for us. We forgive others because God forgives us. We focus on others because God first focused on us. And we know that what we do matters because what he did for us gives us eternity. And the kids notice something, and you guys probably have too. A few of you have looked down and said, what in the world is going on around here? What is this? How are we hanging on to that? There's a gentleman named Francis Chan, and I love this illustration. He does it a little bit differently than I do. Okay, we got that. Yeah, Dorothy, if you... Um, what this represents is... It, Eternity. Now, I've got it tied off to the cross because the cross is kind of where our eternity begins, right? And, and, and without the cross, we don't have eternity. But because we do, we've, <laughs> we, we, we've got this, this eternity here, and, and it goes on, right? This, isn't this cool? This is a little, oh, you guys didn't get any here. You should have some eternity. <laughs> Here, here, let's, <laughs> here, and, and, and nobody ever sits in the front is why I did that. <laughs> but, but you did, so that's good. And this is very stretchy. <laughs> Eternity is very stretchy. I don't know if you knew that. But this is, this is our future, right? We've, we've got all of this. I keep tangling myself up in eternity. Um, there you go. Yeah, you've got to have some too. Um, so we've got eternity before us. Right, go ahead and hold, hold it up so folks can see. Look at this. Isn't this something? That's a, that's a, that's a lot, isn't it? And, I'm not, and, and it's not even done, right? Because I've got a lot more here. You know, eterni you know how long eternity goes? For, <laughs> forever. So I've got, I, I mean, we're talking forever, right? <laughs> you know, it went just long enough. <laughs> so, so this represents eternity. And so you can go ahead and, and let it down. But hang on to it. It's your... No. 
But Francis Chan made this point, and I, and I absolutely love this. You see this? You know what that represents? Our life. This life. Here. Hold that back up again, if you don't mind. Now, this is our life here, right? In light of eternity, and it doesn't end at the cross. It keeps going, right? Okay. Where do we spend all our time, our resources, our focus? <coughs> On this. And truth to be told, you know, we really do. We spend this much of this trying to get to this point so that this, this part right here, right at the end, that's the important part where I can retire and I can do what I want. And this is, this is the most important thing. So this is where I spend my time so that I can set it up, so that I can spend my money and I can do all this stuff. So this is important. One more time, will you? Really? Wow. Wow. You know, I left a pretty successful career to, to go to seminary, and I had some folks who were, you know, kind of like, dude, <laughs> that doesn't make a lot of sense. You're, you, you know, people know who you are, you got notoriety, you got money, you got all this stuff. But for whatever reason, God gave me and understanding at that point that this was not as important as that. And yeah, I could be making more money and I could be more recognized and I could do all that stuff and have less or no impact on this. You're crazy to leave that. I've been crazy not to. Where's your focus? Where do you spend your time, your money, your resources on? This is God's love. It's eternal. It's forever. It's eternity. It's longer than this rope. It's bigger. It goes on and on. And so this gift that we sometimes go, what do I do with it? You grab hold of it with everything that you've got because this is what it brings. I want to close with one more story. At the end of time, billions of people were scattered on a great plain before God's throne. Most shrank back from the brilliant light before them, but some groups that were up in the front were talking. They were, they were talking not with humility, but they were belligerent is what they were. Can, how can God judge us? How can he know about our suffering? Man ripped open a sleeve to reveal a tattoo from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beatings, torture, and death. Another man, a, a, in another group, a young black man lowered his collar and, and showed the rope burns on his neck. What about this? Lynch for no crime but being black. In another crowd, a pregnant schoolgirl with sad eyes. Why should I suffer? It wasn't my fault. And far all, all across this plain were were hundreds of such groups. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering he had permitted in this world. How lucky God was to live up in heaven 
all with sweetness and light. No weeping or fear, no hunger, no hatred. What did God know of all that humanity had been forced to endure in this world? God leads a pretty sheltered life, they said. So each of those groups sent a leader up to talk to God, chosen because they'd suffered the most, a Jew, a person from Hiroshima, a horribly deformed, arthritic, a malnourished child. In the center of the plain, they, they gathered and they consulted with each other. And at last, they were ready to present their case. It was actually pretty clever. Before God could be qualified to be their judge, he must endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. Let him be born a Jew and let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Give him a work so difficult that even his family will think that he's crazy when he tries to do it. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends, face false charges, be tried by a prejudiced jury and convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him be tortured. At the last, let him see what it means to be terribly alone. Then let him die so that there can be no doubt that he died, and then let there be a great host of witnesses to verify that. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, they, the murmurs of approval would rise up from the people assembled. And when the last had finished pronouncing the sentence, there was a long, long silence. Nobody uttered another word, no one moved. Suddenly they all knew God had already served his sentence. As we move closer to celebrating the birth of Christ, may it, we embrace the love that God first gave us. If you don't know Jesus, don't wait. Don't wait. I'll certainly be glad to meet with you. There are others in here who would be glad to do the same. We close with music. You can tap me on the shoulder. We'll go talk over whatever needs to happen. If you're wrestling, whatever it takes. Say yes to Jesus. This is our promise. John 15, verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. He loves you.